Welcome to the SCORE Podcast, where small business matters, helping entrepreneurs, startups, and small business owners launch, grow, and thrive for the life of your business. Hello, and welcome to today's SCORE Podcast. My name is Armando Ojeda. I'm a SCORE mentor, and here with me is my co-host and fellow SCORE volunteer, Tom Nixon. Hello, Tom. Hello there, Armando. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? Uh, can't complain. Can't complain. Very good. You're healthy, I trust? As healthy as a 50-year-old guy's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that you're here and talking to us and mobile and alert and lucid, lots of points. Well, I didn't say any of those things. <laughs> I said I'm as healthy as a 50-year-old guy could be. So, Anywho. Well, you know, when we talk on this podcast, you know, we often talk about, you know, the small business owner, and we typically think of that small business owner out there as someone who has like one product or service, you know, and they're really small and they're just, they're just trying to grow. And, you know, a lot of the startups that we work with, you know, those have been in business about, you know, one to five years or so, you know, they focus their attention on just this one little piece of business because that's really what they started doing. And that's really what they do best. And so, you know, one of the things we don't talk about, and I'm interested in seeing, uh, knowing about this is, so what happens when you start, you know, a business, and then all of a sudden, you know, that product or service, you know, explodes, and then you find adjacent services that also, you know, become, you know, big, and then it's sort of like going on TikTok, right? You know, all of a sudden <laughs> you have 250,000 uh, viewers, and then, um, they become actual different lines of business in addition to being a part of your business. I mean, you know, how do you, what happens when something like that, you know, when the, your business takes off like that? Right. Well, someone call that hitting the jackpot, but we've seen so, a lot of this actually over the course of the last 12 months, either out of necessity or opportunity. We've been talking so much about the pivot and sometimes you have to pivot, um, because you're being forced to. And sometimes you're pivoting because you see an opportunity as you suggested. So, but rather than you and I discuss that, we should bring in our esteemed guest today, because if there's ever been a prime example of somebody who can spot an opportunity, seek it out, pivot while keeping the existing plates all spinning, it's our guest, Jennifer Klug today. So Jennifer Klug, you probably know her. Uh, she is the, a well-known, respected uh, in our small business community. She is the president and CEO of three fairly highly visible enterprises here, um, locally and nationally. So the first, of course, uh, began many years ago as the Michigan Food and Beverage Association, evolved eventually into the Michigan Business and Professional Association, today now known colloquially as Mish Business. She is also the president and CEO of the best and brightest companies, or I'm sorry, best and brightest companies to work for. And we'll talk through what that is because that's relevant as well. And many others will know her as the CEO and publisher of Corp Magazine. So a lot of hats. Jennifer, I don't know how you do it, but welcome to the show. Thank you both. I appreciate being here. It's always pivoting. There's never a dull moment. We, you know, you talked about pivoting, but we all need to pivot all the time. That's the secret of a small business, constant ah, pivoting. Very good. Well, so before we get in, into the deep discussion, as you noticed, I'm very curious about how you went about doing this. So 
Um, so how did you go about, it's not just pivoting really, because yes, you did pivot. That's a great dance move, by the way. <laughs> and, but how do you like grow? How do you start one business and then all of a sudden go into the size, into the number and size of businesses that you've created? Uh, well, it, it's a lot of hard work, but what happens is, and, and I'm a more conservative uh, type leader, I, I default to caution. So what we do whenever we have a new endeavor, we pilot it. So as many of our successful businesses, as Tom explained, we've had an equal number of unsuccessful endeavors, which you don't know because they didn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) So what they say is there's ever, um, it's a 10 to one ratio. There's 10 failures for every one success. Um, So as Tom mentioned, one evolved from the other. So we started in the food and beverage industry. This was before my time. And we were helping a lot of the small businesses within the food community. And then next thing you know, um, they said, well, can my CPA join? Can my, my law firm join? Can my you know, vendor join? And we're like, all right, we're, we're on to something here. So then we created the Michigan Business and Professional Association, service the small business community there. It's now known as Mish Business. And then that took off and we started to launch events and education. Well, we um, were able to do um, educational conferences. We have a big women's conference that we have for women in leadership in the workplace. We have uh, quite a few workshops in education. Well, we took a stab at the best and brightest companies to work for an opportunity uh, fell in our laps and we, we started, well, we didn't start it. We inherited it in Detroit. We, were, we took it over the second year and it was a huge success. And we're like, okay, let's take this to Grand Rapids. It was a huge success. And then I was like, oh, this, this, this might be something. Um, so then we took that to Chicago and it was successful under the best and brightest programs are under the Banner National Association for Business Resources. Um, but most of us know us as the best and brightest companies to work for or the best and brightest in wellness. Um, now, a, a few years later, we're in 20 markets. Uh, with that program. And we're in five markets in the wellness program. So we we were able to take that on the road quite successfully. And what's cool about that, um, you know, my background's in human resources and strategic planning. But what's really cool about this is we're helping people where it matters in their careers. So we're making these businesses stronger. We're making the community stronger because these businesses are flourishing and learning from each other and it impacts lives. Uh, so it's very rewarding work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen, you know, the best and brightest grow to be a national phenomenon now. So, um, you know, just going back to what you said earlier, though. So there's no shame. I mean, you were beaming with pride when you just said about all the failures that you've had. Right. And so we try to encourage people that fail and fail quickly. Right. Yeah. And so you can move on to your next thing, which is every time you fail, all you're doing is you're getting closer to the successful outcome that eventually awaits you. So right. I applaud right. you for doing that. Let's focus on that a little bit, because the last 12 months have been, a, you know, one challenge after another. I'm curious, you know, out of any of your hats, whether it's best and brightest at a publisher of Corp or, um, you know, CEO of Mitch Business, you just have access to a lot of small business owners. And I know you keep your ear to the ground. Um, so I'm curious what, whether it's positive, negative, what do you see as some of the biggest outcomes from the past 12 months relative to small business owners? Yeah. You know, there, there's so much out there, Tom, right now. We, 
what we do is we survey. Uh, we do a lot of surveying. We have committees and advisory boards that we ask this question, what's your greatest pain? Um, I, I think there's a, if, if anyone's starting uh, a business right now or has a, a business for less than five, five years, I think these businesses that made it through COVID have some lessons that they should heed. Um, the first is uh, what we're seeing in the uh, smaller business community is those businesses that manage their budgets and finances in a very conservative approach prior to COVID um, flourished. They were able to have the cash to pivot. They were able to um, manage their home finances. You know, it's scary if you're the business owner and um, you lose 30, 40, 50, 60% of your revenue, what's your backup plan, right? So what we always advise small businesses is if you have a budget and you know that your revenue is, let's say it's going to be 100,000 just to make the math easy. Um, if you have 100,000 in income, you should set your budget at 80,000. That 20% will be used for emergencies, uh, if it's not used for emergencies, set it aside, build some some reserves. And then when you have a catastrophe like this, hmm. you have six months to one year of cash um, to go with. I will say this, the P3 loans, um, Paycheck Protection Program loans helped significantly. In the very big beginning of the COVID crisis, we were quite concerned uh, that there would be a mass exodus of small businesses. And I'm not saying that we haven't lost businesses, but those P3 loans really helped. And I can't remember, I, I don't think you can either, a time where the federal government helped the smallest of employers. No, that's a good point. I know we carry the tax basis, we carry um, the economic growth for the nation, but when a new legislation or rule comes out, it usually hurts small business. This is the first time I've ever seen anything super positive uh, in the in the business direction. I know you guys help with that too, with, with providing uh, funding and resources for banking and whatnot. Yep. Well, um, so as you, you know, have viewed the small business community out there, you know, one of the areas that you are in is uh, surveying like uh, this for the competition of the best and brightest companies to work for. I'm curious, you know, given the, the disruption to the workforce, you know, where people all of a sudden started working remotely or started working virtually or what, whatever combination it was, you know, what was it that you saw there and what do you see now that's coming? Yeah, we saw, and there's still some of this, we saw a lot of uh, issues for C-suite leadership having to deal with change in culture immediately, like overnight. Mm personalities changing because fear was now in the workplace. Fear for life has never been in the workplace outside of those companies that are high risk. You, you know, if you're standing on top of a telephone pole, you know, you're, you know, you're, it's going to be scary, mm -hmm. but most average people in a business environment, if, if, whether it's retail or in a cube somewhere, they're not thinking they have to be scared to go to work. So a lot of CEOs and business owners had to deal with that. They had to tackle that and create a safe safe workplace. It did ripple out into culture. Um, uh, the number one thing that we are hearing right now is building a culture remotely or a hybrid workforce and making sure that there's no resentment between groups. Do you have essential workers and non-essential workers within the same company? How do you make sure that things are fair and right? Um, 
So that is the biggest issue um, that we've seen there. However, um, I think I think the best practice related to um, COVID and leaders think they communicate. You know, this is something we score on and they think they communicate and they're surprised when they see their communication scores are low. What we see happening is the CEO or the business owner thinks they're communicating, but it's not being received by everyone in the same way. And sometimes it only goes so deep. So this all has to be driven by the CEO or the business owner. They have to communicate. They have to communicate often. They have to ease people's fears. Um, And what we're seeing is with the best and brightest community, they have to make sure they're not going to force anyone to do anything. Now, there's a lot of discussion around that. Uh, Are you going to require vaccines? What if someone doesn't have a vaccine? There's a new piece of legislation that came out that says that you can, you can let them go if they're not going to do the vaccine. Is that a smart move? Is that what the big businesses are going to do? And is that going to be the standard that ripples out? So there's a lot of discussion around this, but what we've seen in the best and brightest community is they're creating hybrid environments. Um, They're planning on when they're able to, there's a no rush mentality and it's coming C-suite down and they're not going to force anyone to do something that they're uncomfortable with. Um, Saying that not every business can afford that. If you're retail, you need people in the store, right? So what we recommend there is that you get your team together, you communicate often, you have them as a voice and say, what will it what will it take to make you feel comfortable to come into the store every day? What do we need to purchase? What kind of technology do we need? Um, What kind of PPE do we need? What do you need so that you will feel comfortable? That way it creates trust and transparency. And in the best and brightest community, that's already established because they are the the best employers. But for someone that's not a best and brightest company, if you're a C-suite leader and you're not creating a trust and transparency environment, um, you're going to have a ton of problems in the next six months. Yeah. You know, Jennifer, one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you on the podcast, well, a lot of reasons. One is, you know, we, we go way back. So we're, we're buddies. We uh, I knew you'd be awesome. You're a subject matter expert, but I wanted to let the SCORE community know more if they're not familiar with all of your organizations, because there's all this crossover. I would encourage anyone who's a SCORE member who owns a business to consider joining Miss Business. It's really economical. The value you get out of it is just incredible. I would also encourage, if you're not already, you should be subscribing to Court Magazine because there's news, there's analysis, there's thought leadership, great content there. And of course, all of our small business owners, whether they're the dreamers with an idea and a side hustle or it's somebody who's been in business for five to 10 years, they want to be mostly, most of them, not all of them, but most of them want to be employers of choice someday. Right. And so it's like anything else. I think if you can learn good habits before you actually need them, then they become easy. So all of that was a roundabout way to say COVID aside. So try to think back 18 months. <laughs> all right. So COVID years or is that like dog years? <laughs> right. Yes. So the, I call it the before times <laughs> because there will be hopefully, BC. Yeah, BC before COVID. Hopefully there will be an after COVID too, eventually. And and that's when we'll be thinking more long-term and strategically about how we approach growing our business as opposed to reactively to what needs to happen today, tomorrow, six months. So if you could put that hat on, the BC hat, and think 
because I know the best and brightest companies to work for, you do these analysis analyses mm-hmm. of what are the best practices that these mm-hmm. employers of choice are espousing. If you could reach into that time machine and pick out one or two best practices that you're willing to share that you feel like is the most common to the companies that really thrive. Can you share those with our employers so they can start thinking about that today for tomorrow? Okay. So I'm going to reiterate one thing. The C-suite needs to communicate way more than they think they are. They need to have an open door video meeting with their team, or they need to have, um, they need to drive the culture, whether they're having meetings and taking feedback. It doesn't come from HR. HR wants the C-suite to drive it. So that's mm-hmm. number one. I, I think that's the biggest weakness both before and after COVID. Um, as it relates to best practices, one of the lowest scoring areas on our survey from both the, the company perspective, the supervisor perspective, and the employee perspective is performance reviews employees hate them. I'm using hate purposely. They hate them. Mm -hmm. Supervisors hate doing them. And they're subjective and statistically not effective in retention of of a workforce. It creates Mm -hmm. a negative culture versus a positive culture. So one of the things before COVID that we were really pushing for is get rid of your performance reviews. And then they say, well, what do we replace it with? So if you're an attorney, don't listen because attorneys (laughs) love the performance reviews as a mechanism in court, right? I'm just, by the way, I'm surprised as an offshoot that supervisors in HR both report hating those, but that's, nobody likes them then. Nobody likes them. So yeah, get rid of them. Go ahead. Go ahead. So you need to create a culture where constant communication and transparency happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, One tool that we've endorsed is called UMAP. It's by a a Michigan-based business, Become Unmistakable. And it creates a fun way to communicate with your employees, to learn more about them as a human, and to set goals together. Now, setting goals together, learning about strengths and weaknesses, and... um, what inspires you is a completely different conversation than, oh, you're a four out of five on integrity. Hmm. You're a, a five out of five on getting your work done on time. It's, it's completely different. Yeah. Uh, the workforce has evolved into a more sophisticated respect for each other. And that's what um, I would recommend. It, the one main thing, get rid of your performance re- reviews. They don't work. So how do you pay people more? without it being tied to performance and how do you reduce pay? Those are all discussions. If you don't have that kind of dialogue on a daily basis or your employees don't think that they can come to you for anything, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. It's just being done wrong. Love that. So yeah, that I would recommend that. And then there's all the fun stuff. Um, a lot of companies, um, now, now many small businesses can't do this yet, or they might be able to, uh, Fridays, closing early on Fridays, um, offering um, life days. We call them life days at our, we borrow some of the best practices too. We do them yeah. in our own operation. Why we, wouldn't you? <laughs> we call them life days. So the old days was you had to call in and fill out a form because you're sick. I'm sick today. I can't come. It creates this little weirdness between an employee and, and the HR team and whatnot. So what we do is we say you have nine life days a year. If you wake up one morning and you're having a rough day, you can use your life day, assuming that no client interruption and it's not going to hurt the rest of the company. Use your life day. So we borrowed that from a best and brightest company. Um, Is that in addition to what would be standard PTO? 
No, that is that is is the PTO. Okay. Yeah. So nine days, and then and then um, vacation would be in in addition to that. So some speak of that. A lot of companies are getting rid of the number of days that you can take for vacation. Yeah. If you are uh, doing a really good job and the work's getting done, some employers don't care how many vacations you take. You have unlimited PTO. We did that at uh, the former agency that I owned before I merged with the one I'm with now. And um, you know that feeling you get when you come back from a vacation and you're totally recharged yeah. and you're like, all right, I can do this again. I was burnt out two weeks ago, but now I can really do this. That's what I want my team to have, right? Yeah. So as often as they need to go recharge and come back all, you know, blazing, that, that's, that's what oh, I want Tom, them to you're going to love this one. um, some of the best and brightest companies. Now these are larger companies. I'm not sure small businesses can do this, but they would be smart if they could figure it out uh, is they do paid sabbaticals. When you hit your five year mark, you might, they might pay you for two weeks to not work, literally not work, leave the company for two weeks and come back. Uh, Higher tenure is like a whole month that they could take a sabbatical. What would you do with a month of free time? Well, let me tell you, I used to work at McDonald's and they used to give a three month sabbatical after 10 years of service. That's so nice. It really was. But yeah, I would, uh, I would <laughs> join. A, I was just going to say, I would join a rock band in tour like I used to back in the day. Right. Yeah. And, Travel. And that, yeah. But that's the point. I mean, they really wanted people to develop you know, even more during their time off. It wasn't just so they could just go out and play golf or do whatever, you know, it really was for some productive endeavor. So you really do develop and add value when you come back to your employer. Absolutely. So one of the things that you said, uh, Jennifer, was about, um, you know, the, the transparency and the communication. I also used to work for another company that actually was the, our performance reviews are based on the values of the company. And, you know, one of them was, was transparency. So the people that actually uh, worked in the company had an alignment with the values. So everyone understood what they were. And even in meetings, they would say, well, you know, that's not in line with our values. So, you know, that kind of thing, you know, so you understand, you know, work performance, but you also understand how to support the company, you know, and both ways, and as opposed to just focusing on just what's in your uh, job description. Because that's a a very narrow function. And in any case, even though you're hired for your job description, you often get many more assignments. It's called scope creep, right? (laughs) And and that is what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk, Jennifer, real quickly, if you don't mind, about um, a pivot you executed. In with Court Magazine. Which one? Which well, one? Tom? Okay, I'm, I am going to pick just. <laughs> and was it the last twelve months? <laughs> yes, it was the last twelve months. Okay. So, I mean, I noticed a pivot in the uh, editorial content of Court Magazine that happened right around the time that COVID was locking everything down. So, is that accurate? And can you talk through yes. what the strategy was and what the outcomes were? Oh, wow. So I think we all, you know, looking back, I think each one of us could write a book on what to do. Uh, during a, a pandemic, right, in your operations. So I'm, I'm super proud of what we did with Corp. So Corp Magazine is an executive publication. Uh, it goes out to C-suite across uh, the country. Um, we obviously decided to put more into digital resources. So we, we executed everything digital because no one was going into their buildings anymore. Uh, and we made a conscientious decision for Corp specifically, but for all of our brands, we are going to help as many people as possible. So we knew we were the front line for the business community. 
So for Court Magazine, we pivoted into a breaking news digital publication. And we wanted to do it different. We had the, um, the strength of knowing how to implement some of these changes going on. So if you imagine then a, a, a governor would shut something down, and you're like, well, how do we do that? Or OSHA would change. And then there was the Family First uh, Corona Cares Act. All of the stuff was happening all at once, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people were overwhelmed. So what you would see in traditional media would be, Uh, this just closed, or you have to do this, or you can't do this, but they didn't say how. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we took our business experience and teamed them up, teamed our business leaders up with our editorial team. So when this breaking news went out rather quickly, we'd say, this is what it means. And this is what you need to do. So here's the announcement, the breaking news, but here is how you implement from it. And I'm so happy. We helped tens of thousands of businesses. Yeah, um, the content's been outstanding. In thank like, you. And I'm a small business owner, so I get it. And I want to read the headline, but I do. I do. I want to apply the headline to my own business. Right, Armando? Like, what does this oh. mean to me? Why right. should well, I care, Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's what we at SCORE have tried to do as well, you know, is to try to give people not only information, but the how-to of it. Because at, at the early parts of the pandemic, and Tom, you know this, I mean, people were just lost and confused. And we just yeah. gave them a forum with open mic to be able to express that that confusion, those fears, all of that, you know, and, and sort of help settle people down so they could actually get into what they were supposed yeah. to do. We, so, we, we, I'm sorry to interrupt, no, um, no, no. but we publish some, some specific guides as well. So our, all of our teams connected with each other. So we uh, launched our COVID resources and a guide. We, we then when the racial justice initiatives popped up, uh, uh, businesses didn't know what to do with that. So we produced a guide for CEOs and business owners, HR leaders, and re- tools and resources for employees. And then we launched a series of workshops and town halls and instructed companies, here's how to handle this in your workspace. Um, we also did something on workplace well-being, uh, wellness and well-being in the workplace. And a lot of supervisors were having to deal with life and death situations Um, A lot of HR teams, they were in tears, they were so exhausted, and they were trying to help their employees. There was a lot of depression, a lot of domestic abuse. Um, That now was being um, somewhat seen now in the work environment and the the HR leaders and the supervisors were addressing those issues. So we created some tools and resources around wellness. And then just recently, uh, we have CEO thought leadership. Um, tools, resources, and guides. And so now we're doing webinars once a week minimum, and we're updating these tools and resources and guides um, all the time now. So, and those are all available and we'll make sure you guys get links to that for your SCORE members. Well, thank you. So I was just gonna ask maybe along this line is, so what's next for you and your various (laughs) brands? And do you have any exciting news you wanna share with us? (laughs) Well, we do actually. Um, One of the things that we pivoted is we are now doing these national summits. So because of this digital world, people can connect with each other across the country, share ideas, share resources. We have now uh, expanded our peer groups so that people can sit down and talk shop. We have many for HR, HR folks. 
uh, where they can, they're so burnt out. You're, if you have an HR person, give them a hug, please, <laughs> virtual one. <laughs> give them food, give them water, whatever they need, because they have been so burnt out. So we've been having these businesses collaborate with each other and help each other with their issues. Um, but the biggest issue right now is emotional intelligence at the supervisor level. Uh, we are launching culture pulse surveys. Um, in fact, um, we're about to send it out. So this is a new launch as of uh, the next two days. Uh, so these culture pulse, pulse surveys, you can send them out monthly, quarterly, annually, and you can get a feel for emotional well-being of your team. You get a feel for their affinity with their supervisor, their affinity uh, with the company. Um, and their burnout level. So if somebody's really motivated and loves the company, but they're having trouble um, uh, emotionally, that'll come out in the survey. And that'll, that's a wonderful tool and benchmark for employers to see how they're doing, but also see how they're doing compared to others. So if the morale of their team is lower than the rest of the, the region or the rest of the country, they know they have a specific problem. And then that goes hand in hand with supervisor training helping supervisors lead. There's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of talent changes going on right now. There's a lot of talent issues right now. Believe it or not, there's a talent shortage. Women are leaving the workforce. And if you're close to retirement, which is a big group, they want to go as soon as possible. It's been a rough year. So that's creating some talent shortages and new supervisors are going into roles and they don't have the skill set. So we're launching some supervisor training specifically tied to emotional intelligence and understanding the fear factor and the emotions going on right now at, at, at work and they can handle it. Um, so those are our new things, the surveys and the training. Wow. Always a lot going on with Jennifer <laughs> Absolutely. and her various brands. And on the cutting uh, edge too. Yes. Good really job. good stuff. Really good <laughs> Thank stuff. You. Thank you. The last thing that you mentioned actually is a great segue into our closing segment, which is we do a question of the day. And this is a user submitted question. Um, and if you have a question that you want to submit for question of the day, you can just enter a comment on any of our posts on Facebook or LinkedIn. You can email us directly and uh, find all that information at semichigan.score.org. So Jennifer, this is right in your wheelhouse. We'll let you tackle it first. The question comes from Joyce, who did ask this on Facebook. Her question is, how are companies successfully recruiting talent, which is what you just mentioned, given that our business is brick and mortar and many employees are still reluctant to be back out among crowds? So I know that's a, a tough question to answer briefly, but what would you recommend? It's a great this? question, Joyce. Yeah. So what we are seeing, uh, especially in a retail, so I believe she's retail, correct? Yes. Well, she said so, brick and mortar, but I'm assuming brick, that means yeah. retail. Brick and mortar. Okay. So what's happening is with all these funds coming out from the government, it's very hard to get people back into the workspace. So unfortunately, what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of uh, companies rethink their work and pay higher salaries or pay incentives to return back to the workplace. So that's number one. It's mm. just got to be you're competing with unemployment. You're competing with the fear factor. Um, so to address the issues related to pay, you, you have to pay more. Maybe you have less people working, you have, have people working different shifts, or you rethink how the work is done. So that has to go hand in hand. Um, and then again, the safety, um, treating each person as an individual, having a safety meeting of your, of your team or your potential team or your returning team and say, what, what do you need from me 
to return back to work? Do you need gloves? Do you need a screen between you and the, the um, do we want to take temperatures? What will make you feel safe? Uh, and having those discussions and working towards those. So unfortunately for the small business owner is yet another crunch of, of finances to get people back in, um, having to really train them and work with them. So it's, it's a lot of hours ahead, but that's what we're seeing. And unfortunately, Joyce, you got to pay a little bit more and you got to put some more energy into strategy and how you're doing business and how can you do your business differently? Like, can you have outdoor pickup? Can people order things and then you put it in a nice little baggie and bring it out to their car? You know, right. what, what is it that you can do even as a clothing company or a bakery or, or whatever it may be? Well, we did have a guest, believe it or not, on, a, on our podcast who was a score mentee who owns a bra retailer, custom bra retailer in Royal Oak. And she was able to thrive in the pandemic, even given all the limitations. So I've never purchased a bra for myself, but I'm assuming you want to try some stuff like that on, <laughs> right? So there are ways to innovate. There are ways to pivot. So, all right, Armando, anything you wanted to add to uh, Jennifer's awesome answer? No, I, I just wanted to say thank you to Jennifer because she really is awesome. And she's really taught me a lot here today that I'm going to implement even with my organization, um, you know, incentives and thinking about health and safety and also, you know, actually teaching our supervisors how to communicate much better, you know, with our employees. So that, as you pointed out, the message goes from the CEO all the way down into the, into the levels of the, of the frontline people. So thank you for that. Very insightful. Oh, you're welcome. It's wonderful to be here. You, you guys are such a great organization and we support you immensely. Well, thank you. So we've been talking with Jennifer Klug, who's the president and CEO of the small business conglomerate of Mishbiz, Best and Brightest Programs, and Corp Magazine. Thanks again for being with us, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Jennifer. And thank you for listening to today's SCORE podcast. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur or small business owner in the early stages of a business, this podcast is produced by SCORE to deliver information you can use to become a successful business owner. Join us again for another edition of our SCORE podcast. Thank you for listening to the SCORE podcast, where small business matters. For show notes, additional resources, and access to the tools discussed in this episode, please visit us at semichigan.score.org.